This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter is known for fit, comfort, and ventilation. Stay tuned for a new line of women's climbing packs coming out any day. I can't tell you which one, but stay tuned for more about Gravity SL line made by women for women. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in good fitting backpacks so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists because even though my advice and opinions are free, I am improvising the whole thing. BetterHelp lets you message a licensed therapist day or night. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive one free week. It helps support the show and it helps support you. Well, if that sound makes you think about climbing, you've passed the Pavlovian dog test that you're a climber. One climber that loves this sport through and through is Alex Wildman. We had the good fortune to meet years back, stayed in touch. And then Alex, just prior to leaving for his life dream, finds out fate has another thing in store for him. I remember when I first got sick, I couldn't even say the word cancer. You know, I had written a journal entry at one point. I was by myself in a room. I remember writing down, I have cancer. And to write that down and know what that meant was a heavy thing. I have cancer and what does that mean? You know, you'll have so many unanswered questions, especially when you initially get diagnosed. It's so scary to just not know. And that, that's the worst part. Alex Wildman is a lot of things. He's a climber and a nurse and a father. He's also a cancer patient survivor. Alex is exactly as his name suggests, a brave, adventurous person who, in 2016, would embark on his most challenging expedition to date. And we're not talking about winter slogs through ice fields or high elevation crusades. We're talking about month after month of intense chemotherapy and fighting the hardest fight of your life and never really knowing the outcome. And why is cancer so scary? Because it can kill you, right? I mean, obviously, but truthfully, a lot of things can kill you. Ignoring crossing signals or alcohol poisoning or texting and driving. All things that common sense can usually be used to mitigate disaster. But people aren't terrified of those things the way we usually are about cancer. Cancer is scary because it's ugly. It's a thief because it steals pieces of you bit by bit. Your energy, your hair, your life. 
Most of us know someone who's been affected by it, maybe even enough to feel like we understand it. Cancer's this weird illness that's familiar enough to be acquainted with, like a distant cousin you only have to see at holidays, and yet it's still unfamiliar enough to scare the shit out of us. Even uttering the C word out loud and asking Alex to talk about his cancer was intimidating. And I'm comfortable with all the C words. Saying it for the first time made it feel so real, which I know is only a fraction of a fraction of what Alex felt that day and all of the days following. So to acknowledge the fact that you have it in the first place is difficult. I wrote it down on a piece of paper and then I said, you have to say it out loud. I remember being like, I have... And word just kind of dropped out of my mouth like a 10-pound weight and hit the floor. It was like cancer. And I just started crying because to hear yourself say it, you have to know, like, it's one of those things that will potentially decide your fate. So it's hard to know. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to know. And then I said, and I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to make it through this. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sorta. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Dirt Bike Climbers. Here's the show. I know this seems real bad right now, but it'll get better. Alex isn't talking about cancer, by the way. We are talking about camping, climbing, and type two fun. The coldest <laughs> you've ever been in your life, but oh you won't be God. cold forever. I promise. Oh but you will like it when we get back to the car <laughs> and you take off your backpack and you'll reflect and you'll say, that was great. Alex and his girlfriend, Colleen, had just returned from a week-long climbing trip in the eastern Sierras. And just as soon as it started, it was over and back to life on the East Coast. He's a busy guy, a new homeowner working a full-time job as a telemetry nurse, which deals with patients who have cardiac issues. Alex also helps run the Philadelphia chapter of the American Alpine Club. We were a beta program for the American Alpine Club. And we were one of their very first chapters, which is pretty cool. We started out by hosting Real Rock, which this will be our sixth year. People like that stuff. People like it. People like to come out. Sean Ryan, who pretty much runs the AAC Philly chapter, and myself and our other good buddy, uh, Mike Delaney, we were on a trip out to the Tetons and the Cirque. While we were out there, I was like, we should throw Real Rock. You know, I had gone to it for the few years before that. And I had always kind of felt this emptiness, like I'd be in a room all of a sudden with 250 other climbers. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know there were that many climbers in the Philadelphia area. And then we'd watch a movie and then the event would end. And then that was it. And I always felt kind of like, man, this stinks. I didn't get to like connect with anybody. And I felt like a loss of connection. And I was like, this is such a missed opportunity. Like we should be doing things to try to enable community. I kind of brought that up and Sean played around with it and was like, we could make this a big event. And essentially we had gone to the American Alpine Club to be like, hey, could you help us do this event? And the first year we threw the event, we had something around 450 people come out, which was huge. We had so many people and it was all about trying to just create an awareness 
Everybody in this room, like all of your hands are sweating at the same time because you all get it. Nobody here has to describe why you like climbing. Everybody here gets it. So look around the room, like we're all here for the same reason. Like we are all part of a bigger thing. And it's been great. Last year we had 550 people out to Real Rock and we have an event planned for almost every month in 2019. So, I mean, we have event after event after event. We have mentorship programs now to try to address this mentorship gap. We've been able to implement education programs here. The whole idea of these programs are identify the barriers that are keeping people from getting education. Having a mentor, I feel like, is like the gold standard. I'm not sure if I mentioned that Alex is also a dad and apparently doesn't sleep. You know, sometimes you have a lot of extra time where you can be putting together events and things like that. But I mean, there is only so much time. You know, time is a precious luxury and you have to be super aware of how much time you actually have that you can dedicate to certain things. I am definitely a yes man. Like I love to say yes to doing things, but you know, you get to a point where you get so stressed out because like, I can't possibly get to all of these things. So I have been saying no to certain things. And I've had a fear that like, if I say no to an opportunity, then I'll never get that opportunity again. And I don't know where that came from, but it certainly has had me say yes to a lot of things. <laughs> Alex is definitely a yes man, which is pretty difficult when you're balancing things like running AAC chapter events and raising a daughter and, you know, being a full-time nurse. My mom was a nurse and growing up, I was certain that I would not be a nurse because I was like, well, I'm not going to grow up to be like my mom. Although all my life, I've always been just like my mom. My dad would be watching football games. I'd be like, I don't watch football. I want to watch a soap opera with my mom. And like, I would always be like, oh, let's go bake something in the kitchen, mom. Like I always just followed after my mom so much. In that same token, my dad took me out and introduced me to the outdoors. So, I mean, I got both columns from my mom and my dad. I guess I just cherry-picked the things that spoke to me. I love being a nurse. That's a huge passion of mine. It's such a, a beautiful privilege to be able to help people when they're, like, at their ultimate, sometimes worst. I've helped more people die than I can or would like to remember. And it is such a special thing to be able to be there for somebody at such a unique time in their life. Might be the worst moment of their life you have an opportunity to potentially make it a little bit better. I don't know what else I would do. It feels very natural to me. Like, I don't feel like it's work. Being a nurse was something Alex was sure that he didn't want to do until one day he had an epiphany. He was driving to work when a man on a motorcycle hit a patch of sand and skidded out on the highway in front of him. And he tumbled across the road. And before I knew it, I had pulled over my car and I was running out of my car to this guy. I run up to him and by the time I get to him, he's like patting himself off and he's standing up. I said, we need to go to the hospital right now. Get in my car, I'll drive you to the hospital. And he's like, no, 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 please leave me alone. I don't need any help. But as I start walking back to the car, my mind starts going, you know, a thousand miles an hour. And I'm thinking, what would I have done if this guy really needed help? I ran out to this person to help them but I didn't even know what to do. And then I heard my mom's voice and it was like, you should be a nurse. And the very next day I went and I applied to nursing school. I've always been, if I'm gonna jump into something, like I wanna do it at a thousand percent. I wanna really see it all the way through. Alex went from working in a gear shop to later becoming an acute medical surgical nurse. He went in a thousand percent 
and he reminds us that, like most things in life, his job can be both ends of the spectrum. And a lot of what he does comes down to attitude. You can't teach good attitude, so they say. So my girlfriend is a nurse, too. That's kind of how we met. You know, she still has a hard time with bringing a lot of stuff home with her. She works in cardiothoracic surgery. So she sees people getting, like, heart transplants, lung transplants, and then any other sort of cardiothoracic surgery. She'll be with someone for months. It's difficult for her to let go of that stuff, but I've been trying to tell her, like, to be an effective nurse, you need to be genuine and connect with somebody when you're in the moment with them in the room. But then as soon as you're done, you you know, leave the room, you have to break that connection and leave it there because you have to go into another room and you have to connect with that person. And you can't bring one person's situation into another person's room. And then you can't bring all of those patients with you home because you have your friends, your family, people that you care about that you have to have space for in your mind, in your heart. So to be, I think, very genuine and effective as a nurse, you have to do it in the moment. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and you have to find a way that you can make a real connection with somebody, but then also break that connection and leave it there because compassion fatigue is real, especially you know when you're new and you think you're gonna heal the world you quickly realize that you're not, but you can make genuine connections with people. It's a privilege. It's totally a privilege and you have to hold it very gently. You have to be aware the whole time that it doesn't matter what your day is like. Nobody wants to wear a gown, right? Nobody wants to be in a bed. Nobody wants to be a patient. As bad as your day is as a nurse is meaningless compared to whatever somebody else is there for. You just have to always keep that in mind, you know, because it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to have a million people asking you to do a million different things when you're there for 12 hours, 16 hours, however. I mean, if you're doing like a long Alpine objective, like that could be 18 hours. And you have to be able to shift your focus from patient to patient to patient, and then code hits, and you gotta jump into action and just go through the algorithm. You have to just know what to do. It's just that you're constantly on the sharp end. <laughs> yeah, like you are, like you're always on the sharp end, and then you're also belaying everybody. Like you're belaying all your patients while you're on lead. But it's a privilege, and, and I love it. I don't know what else I would do. facing some like serious adversity, you get to really see your truest nature and your truest character of who you are as a person. And I don't think there is a right or wrong way to deal with adversity. But if you go through adversity enough times, you can start to take a look at it and say like, how do I want to go through this? I'm aware that I'm about to enter a shitstorm. How am I going to walk through it? And if I can even take it a step further, if I re reflect back on my experience, would I look back on it and say like, you handled yourself well, good job. Or like, wow, I can't believe you acted like that. Maybe you should try to check yourself next time. There's a remarkable beauty of relative perspective. I mean, it's kind of amazing just to think that we all have this unique opportunity to alter reality. And yeah, there are some things that we can't change, like that mean thing you tweeted when you were three sheets to the wind. And some things in life are just good, and some are bad, really bad. Or are they? The concept that it all comes down to our perception is sort of an interesting one, a gift to create good of bad. Alex had the individual realization that let him see life this way. 
But it still doesn't keep things from happening, and it wasn't going to stop the shitstorm that was about to happen, that Alex was about to walk into. Two weeks before leaving for Patagonia for a climbing trip, Alex's life was turned upside down. January 28th, 2016, 3.30 in the morning, I woke up this severe abdominal pain to the point that it woke me out of my sleep, rolling around on the floor, curled up in a ball in agony. I was in so much pain. It went away, went back to bed because I don't know why, because I was scared. <laughs> and when I woke up for real, I drove myself to the hospital. While I was driving in, I knew Colleen was there that day and I had a mega crush on her. It was just like, hey, I'm gonna be at the hospital today. And she's like, oh, I didn't think you're working. I was like, oh, my stomach, I'm not really sure. And she's like, oh, I'll drop by and see you in the ER. I was like, okay, cool. Last thing I remember saying to her, oh, I'll just text you later once I leave and let you know how things worked out. But it was hours later, and Alex never left the ER. A doctor had come out from the ER and was like, you actually have this really rare blood clot in your superior mesenteric vein, which is one of few veins that drains blood from your stomach to your liver. To have a blood clot there could be potentially fatal. We called vascular surgery. They're coming down to evaluate you. You may be having an immediate surgery. Also, we saw your lymph nodes in your abdomen were quite enlarged, you know, seven, nine centimeters, and you have all these soft tissue masses everywhere. But that was kind of more of an afterthought because it was like, oh my gosh, this clot might kill you. Alex had gone in for a simple CAT scan, and all he wanted was to get laughed out of the ER. He wanted to check in and be told that he was wasting everybody's time, that he had gas pains. Give him some gas X and tell him to go home. That's what he was hoping for. Instead, he was suddenly facing a potentially fatal blood clot. When the doc had come back and told me that there were all these things going on, like, the last thing on my mind was cancer. I was two weeks away from going to Patagonia, you know, to go try to do some suffering down that way. I didn't have any sort of concept really. When they were like, you're gonna be staying, we have vascular surgery team come to see you. It definitely was a curveball from left field and I got really scared. Luckily, I had previously worked at the CR. One of my friends was my nurse and she's like, maybe if you just like read a little bit more information, it'll make you feel better. I remember reading over this CAT scan report. It was hard to read it. I didn't understand a lot of it. There's a lot of things I had to look up that I was like, oh my gosh, this is really not something I'd want to read about myself. At this point, Colleen texts me and she's like, hey, how did things go? Did you get home safe? And I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm still at the hospital. Uh, turns out things are terrible. And she's like, well, who's there with you? And he's like, well, nobody's here. Nobody knows I'm here except for you, actually. You're the only one. And, you know, she was just a, a friend from work. We'd never even hung out outside of work. And she's like, well, can I come and be there with you? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, that would be great. Because, <laughs> like, in my mind, I was like, okay, well, that would be great. Like, I have a major crush on this girl. I was like, okay, you can come. I said, but I, I'm not really sure how things are going to go. So she comes and basically once she gets there, they put me into an actual room like I get admitted to the hospital. And she's in the room with me when my doctor comes by. I chose Dr. Goldberg because he's very direct. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't BS people. He just says it the way it is. And he just walks in the room. It's just myself and Colleen there. And he just says, if this isn't cancer, I don't know what this is. 
And that was the first moment that I was like, cancer, like what? I thought we were dealing with like a blood clot. It was one of those things that I guess I just didn't even want to consider that as an option. And he basically said, don't need anything else tonight. You're gonna get biopsied in the morning. Try to get some sleep. And they left the room and Colleen was there. And this is the first time we had ever hung out outside of working, which happened to be in the hospital. And it was the first time we had seen each other in regular clothes. And there we are in a hospital room. And uh, she hasn't left my side since. She's been through every appointment, every chemo treatment, everything. Our anniversary for when we started dating, it's like the day I was diagnosed, which is like a weird, it's like always bittersweet. You know, I always tell her like, that <laughs> could have potentially been the worst day of my life, but I feel like it was the best day. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm very thankful for Colleen. She's been an incredibly bright light in my life. So, yeah, so. <laughs> Wait, no, I. The thing that hurt Alex the most was knowing how much it was going to hurt the people in his life. His mom and friends and his daughter, who had just turned four the same day Alex found out he had stage three cancer. It was uh, stage three diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So lymphoma is like a blood cancer. Uh, so it's basically like your immune system is working against you. So for me to try to explain that to somebody that just turned four... How do you do that? <laughs> but when I told my daughter, like, that word didn't have any weight to it, didn't have the meaning, didn't have the context that we have associated with it. She's four. So, so then that made me think a little bit more about, like, obviously I know why it has that much weight and why it deserves the respect that it gets. But that being said, it kind of follows suit for how things have kind of gone in my life. Like a lot of us, Alex has faced a lot of different adversity in his lifetime. He lost his dad when he was 20, when he and his brother found the body. 20 years old, it's tough to like lose one of your parents. I remember I actually called him that Wednesday, just this random thought that was like, you know, I haven't seen my dad much lately. We haven't hung out. I was 20 years old. I was in a punk rock band. I was like playing shows every weekend in some basement in New Jersey. <laughs> you were all the kids my mom didn't want me hanging out with. Yeah, but I was still such a dork, man. Like, I was such, like... Yeah, she didn't I, want me hanging out with dorks. Yeah, well, good reason. <laughs> but, yeah, we were all a bunch of dorks. I remember being excited about being like, oh, we're going to hang out. He doesn't pick up, and I leave a voicemail on his answering machine. This is Wednesday, and I was like, hey, Dad, I'm in your area. Let's hang out. Let's go bowling. Let's go to the diner. Let's go for a hike. I don't care. Just give me a call back when you get this. I'm super excited. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. And um, found him that Friday. The next week when we were clearing out his apartment, I was listening to the messages on his answering machine. It turned out that he passed away on a Monday. That Wednesday, I left a voicemail for him. So when we were cleaning out his apartment, I listened to that message. It was just a few days too late. I have a tattoo across my chest to kind of remind me. It says, live your heart and never follow. This sentiment is, at one point I had thought, because my dad's an adult, it's on him to fix things. But it was that awareness of, well, if something's broken, you fix it. And when I came to realize that was that Wednesday, and I was a couple days too late. So live your heart, never follows. Do what you feel like is right for you. 
Don't worry about what you think you're supposed to do or the way things are supposed to go. Do what you feel like is right for you. Follow your heart. That was my first experience with adversity. Okay, plot twist. Can we talk about how Alex became friends with Conrad Anchor now? Because, I mean, how does that happen? Trajectory, get diagnosed with stage 3 diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, become pals with renowned alpinist Conrad Anchor, and then climb a big wall with him? Conrad has become a good friend, no doubt. He called me a couple weeks ago, and like I was doing something around the house. And I was like, who's calling me? It's like, my phone says Conrad Anchor. It's like, oh my God, Conrad Anchor's calling me. This is so cool. <laughs> and he was just like, hey man, how are you? Like, how are things? How's life? You know, and we were catching up and, you know, I was asking about Jenny and like his kids and how life is out in Montana. And he was telling me how ice was coming in and highlight. and Just catch, you know, like chatting like about Like normal all... shoot the shit things, but with yeah. Conrad Anchor. Conrad and I first met in 2010. I was working for REI. Conrad was doing a film tour for The Wildest Dream. I was kind of the point person. We talked and he told me, when you're ready as a climber, you should make a, a trip to Patagonia. And I was like, all right, cool. And then put that on the back burner for a long time. So when I was finally ready to try to make a trip to Patagonia as a climber, um, I'd sent him a message like, Conrad, we met six years ago. You inspired me, blah, blah, blah. Like just off the cuff, I'm just writing to him. When I found out that I had cancer, <laughs> all of the things that I was doing, one of them was like, oh, I better write Conrad back and tell him, hey, man, like, don't wait for a trip report from me. And I don't know why I thought that that was important, but I guess live your heart and never follow, right? So I did. I wrote him back, and I was just like, hey, Conrad, I'm not going to Patagonia. I've got to climb a mountain that has no rock. Thank you for all the inspiration, though. And immediately, he writes back. So sorry to hear that. I hope you're stronger. Hold fast, all storms pass, Conrad. And that phrase, hold fast, all storms pass, I grabbed onto that phrase right from the get-go. And Conrad had then, you know, over the next week, it said like, hey, you know, I'm going to be in the Philadelphia area. Is it okay if I come by and see you and see how you're doing? This is February 2016. I was like, oh, he's like, well, I'm going to be in the hospital. Uh, my first chemo treatment was 96 hours long. So I was in the hospital for a solid week. This like crazy long chemo alpine push. Conrad shows up at the hospital. He, I'm sure, had a million other things that he had to do. He was touring another film and he took time out of his day, he took hours out of his day, and sat with me and my mom and my brother in the hospital and just talked with me. He wrote stuff down in his journal and he wrote my journal. And I still to this day don't know how to express enough gratitude. While Conrad's in the hospital with me, he says, he's like, well, you're going to get better and we're going to go do something big next year together. And he said, have you ever climbed El Cap? And I was like, no, I've never climbed El Cap. <laughs> and he's like, next year you and I are going to go climb El Cap together. Writes it up on the hospital board on the discharge goals. Climb El Cap with Conrad, 2017. And he wrote, hold fast on my knuckles. Every chemo treatment after that, or hold fast on my knuckles. 
And now for like when I go out on a big climb, I'll write hold fast on my knuckles and it's on all of my gloves. I actually did a, a like a little search, like a hashtag search for it. And I found all these other people now that write hold fast on their knuckles going through chemo and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's from this or there's just a coincidental, but that gave me so much strength. And if that can help some other people, that's such a beautiful thing to have blossomed out of it. Conrad again tells me that we're gonna climb El Cap together the next year, but there's work to be done before that happens, right? I gotta get better. You can't choose the things that happen to you, but you can choose how you respond to them. You know, and for me, that was a big takeaway. I was like, I'm gonna choose how I respond to this. I've gone through enough adversity in life, you know. I know how to deal with an unpleasant situation. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. But right now what I need to do is I need to deal with the situation at hand and get through it. And while I'm dealing with the hardest bit, I can choose to be happy and I can choose to be positive and I can choose to still smile, still choose to get up and try to have the best day possible. And that was all very conscious thought. I ended up doing six more cycles that came out by the end when I do my PET scan, it come out clean. So it was this like kind of initial craziness to the beginning of the year and then by the summer, it kind of floated by it and it gotten better, which was just crazy to think of this aggressive, fast-growing cancer and then went through you know months and months of chemo, but here I am. In a few months' time, Alex was faced with a mountain of difficult things. While he'd asked himself why he had cancer, at one point, he started asking what. What kind of attitude was he going to bring going into this? which is a hard question to reckon with when you don't know the outcome, when the potential outcome is death. But Alex knows like he knew then that there are lots of silver linings. And I know that silver linings aren't always for everybody and that some people even consider them trite. But Alex acknowledged that every dark rain cloud has a silver edge to it and that those little slivers of hope do add up. That attitude out of many things is what got him through it. The point that a lot of people miss is that you can be sad and angry and have cancer and feel awful about it and still choose happiness. Those things can coincide. They can certainly both exist at the same time, right? I mean, I think you're like living proof, really. <laughs> yeah, I went through a lot of different emotions and it constantly felt like I was trying always in the moment to understand why I felt the way I did and try to make the best of it, which is difficult. At one point I had gotten really self-conscious about losing my hair. For six months I didn't have any hair, which is big picture, not a big deal, right? But I'm a ginger, for those of you that can't see me right now. You can't see Alex right now because this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I am a ginger, warning. Uh, <laughs> growing up as a shy redhead, I got made fun of a lot. I went home crying a lot, specifically because of my red hair. As an adult, I developed a sense of this is who I am, and I loved it. And it was like very much part of who I was. So then to kind of lose that thing that I self-identified with so much, even though it's super superficial, 
super superficial. It's just my hair. Still, it was just one of these other things that I didn't choose it. And in my mind, every time I walked outside, all I felt was people saw was cancer. Like I wasn't a person anymore. And I was tried to figure out how to deal with that. My friend owns an art studio. And he's like, hey, why don't I come in and be one of your models for your art class? She was like, you wanna do that now? And I was like, I want people to come out and be able to see what somebody could look like and what I perceive is at my worst. And so we called it Cancer in the Raw. And I did, I went out and feeling my worst about, again, things that were not super important, but my looks and how I felt. Like I didn't go outside without a hat on. Like nobody saw my head. Like I always had a hat on. And to get completely naked in front of a group of strangers and hold poses for two hours in total, that scared me more than anything. And I said, well, because it scares me so much, I think I should do it. I think I should learn something from this. I remember at the end of the evening, I got a chance to walk around and see everybody's artwork and all the things that I was self-conscious about and all the things that I felt like they were the only things people could see. None of those things made it onto the paper. None of those things made it onto anybody's painting. And I was like, wow, the way that I perceive myself is not the way that others perceive me. After that, I walked out without a hat on and I actually had to go to the hospital the next day for some scans. And I remember writing in my journal, I said, you know, like I went into the hospital for machines to look deep inside my body, to look at things on a cellular level. At the same time, I'm trying to explore my own thoughts and my mind, but I was able to do that without a hat on and I was smiling. And again, it was one of these things that I was able to take that control back. I was able to choose. I was able to kind of just change my perspective. And that's the thing in, in these hard situations. It's like, yeah, it's a hard situation, but maybe you can change that perspective a little bit and look at it from a different angle. Maybe that different angle is just enough to like keep you going. And for me, <laughs> I took new model. For those of you wondering, because I bet you're all wondering, Alex and Conrad did make it to the Valley in 2017. They made a film about Alex's story. It's called Hold Fast. Spoiler alert, if you're listening to this episode, he survived and he's been in remission for over two years. The film is out and just won an award from the Adventure Film Fest in Boulder, Colorado, and they're currently waiting to hear back from BAM. If you're in the Philly area, they will be doing a viewing in April, so check back. Climbing El Cap together was a special way to sort of bookend Alex's initial treatment. And it wasn't just a nice thing to say in the moment. Conrad meant it when he said it and it was as good as his word. They climbed an A3 aid route on the most inverted section of El Cap, hammering little beaks and pitons until they made their way to the summit. There was one pitch of free climbing, which I led. It was 5'7". And I was like, I got this one, guys. <laughs> And I did lead like a C2 pitch and I placed hooks and uh, I was terrified. They're scary. Oh yeah. I was like, Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just saying all sorts of dumb stuff and they're like, just climb your pitch.
This whole time, the climbing community rallied for Alex and was there to help. Sean Ryan, chapter chair of the Philly AAC chapter, put on a huge benefit to raise awareness and money to help offset some of the financial costs since Alex was out of work for six months. It was heartwarming to know that he didn't have to stress over cash and he could eat healthy while he was out of work and pay his hospital bills. If this did anything above all else, it showed Alex that love was greater than cancer. And it was humbling. To receive that much love and support from both friends and strangers is humbling. And Alex looks forward to the day when he can pay it forward, when he can share that bright love with the rest of the world. And I'd say it's safe to wager that he already has. Well, I feel like I was able to draw a lot from within. I certainly took a lot from everybody else. I felt like I was being spotted by like a thousand people. I felt like I was super high up on a line without any pro in and I was going to take the biggest whip of my life. But everybody was like, you look good, man. Keep going. You're strong. Keep going. I had everybody supporting me and that did make such a big difference. Just somebody just saying like, I hope you do okay. I'm sending you my best vibes. That meant the world to me. Everybody that had reached out, I have so much gratitude from that and I'm so thankful it filled me with so, so much gratitude, you know, and like still like I am overflowing with just this gratitude that I just want to keep pushing out. How do I want to go through this? When the doctor came in the room and said, you have cancer, I cried, man. It was hard. It was super hard. I cried a lot of nights. It was super scary, but I had the benefit of going through enough adversity in life. Adversity is one of those things that it's a lot of kind of on the job training and you go through it once and you're like, wow, that was heavy. That was hard. And you go through it again and you're like, why am I going through more adversity right now? And then you keep going through more and more. And by the time that I had found out that I had cancer, I had been through enough life experiences that I felt like I knew how to deal with the adversity. There was this idea that I know how to suffer. And in a large part, I think that's what attracted me to climbing and the mountains. There is no sugarcoating it that if you want to climb, you know, big stuff or hard stuff or fun stuff that's just far out there, you know, you, you may have to deal with a certain amount of suffering and adversity. Climbing teaches you how to constantly deal with failure. I've failed more times than I've been successful as a climber. But through that constant training, trying to see that this is just part of the process of learning. How do I deal with not completing the objective? How do I deal with not sending? You know, what is really the important thing here? my life going to be any different at the top of this route? Climbing teaches you so many things about life. How to deal with complex logistics. How to critically think through a scenario that has just changed before you. And how to deal with coming up short all the time. And when I found out that I had cancer, I was able to look back on my previous experiences through life, dealing with adversity, and I was able to draw on climbing. I choose how much I want to deal with when I'm climbing, or if I'm going to go out into the mountains for a certain amount of time. Like, I'm choosing that. Like, that's my choice. The difference is when the choice is made for you, and you can't choose that, whatever that 
is. You know, if somebody puts something on you or if physically something has happened to you, how do you deal with that? It's much harder, right? But I think that's when you have to really draw on those lessons and say like, okay, like what have I learned, you know, as a climber? Like what have I taken away from this? You know, like having big forearms isn't gonna help me when I'm having a hard time in life. It doesn't do anything to be physically strong. Like how do you get to be mentally strong? And I think that climbing will teach you that if you're perceptive to those lessons. And I think you have to kind of look for those. Most climbers will find those lessons. But if you look for them, they're, they're right there. It's always teaching you. I know for my daughter, she's seven. One of the first things I told her when we went climbing her first time, there's nothing at the top and nothing will change if you get to the top. I said, the hardest part of any climb is that first step. I said, I'll just be proud of you for trying. That's the hardest part. Being bold enough to take that first step. Going out on a trip that you've never done walking into the woods that you've never been in for five miles to get to some wall that's gonna scare you when you see it. The fact that you just got out of the car, good job. Climbing it is not as important as the fact that you went for it in the first place. Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support this podcast, please check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can sponsor us for as little as $1 per episode. It really helps keep this podcast going, and I'm so grateful for all of your help. Special shout out to Cameron McAlpine because he makes this thing sound good. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And to Evo Hemp, who is on a mission to bring you quality hemp products that are both affordable and accessible. What the heck is hemp anyway? We'll have to tell you next time. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time.